Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby. Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. My special guest this week is Alan Sang, negotiations coach for North America and Asia Pacific. Alan is also the author of the book, Negotiation Mythbusters. Alan lives to put out fires. He's not afraid to jump into any conflict, especially business ones. He is an expert negotiator who has trained thousands of professionals to negotiate more effectively against some very large companies such as Google, Boeing, PepsiCo, Verizon, GE, and Microsoft, to give you an example. His mentors include the late Jim Camp, who founded Camp Negotiation Systems and retired FBI chief hostage and crisis negotiator Gary Nosner. Alan has been invited by multi-billion dollar global organizations like Giordano and Konica Minolta to train their teams and executives to negotiate critical deals. But Alan's proudest success was helping a Monpas startup to sell their domain name for $2.6 million. I'm sure our listeners are thinking, that's extremely impressive, but how's this going to help me? Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time. I, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, so negotiation is everywhere, whether it's, you know, salespeople negotiating their quota, negotiating a deal with a, with a customer, or, you know, it could be anywhere. In your book, you talk a lot about a lot of strategies. What do you mean when you say the importance of strategy versus tactics in the world of negotiation? I think both of them are important. Um, the, the most succinct way is uh, was addressed by Sun Tzu in The Art of War. Basically, he said, um, strategy without tactics, it may be the slowest path to victory, but tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. That is very similar to someone who's dri- driving a car in the forest without a GPS and a map and gets lost. Driving faster is not going to help. It'll, they only get lost more, right? And so in, in, a, in a business negotiation, uh, tactical negotiation, like being a good listener, using active listening, asking good questions, building rapport, uncovering the challenging problems, uh, those are great. That is very important. But without a good strategy, without knowing who you should be negotiating with and when and why you're actually doing that and what your desired outcome is, I've seen a lot of people being really good at negotiating with a counterparty only to later find out that 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 counterparty should not even have been in the negotiation. That was the wrong step with the wrong person. That's 
So uh, absolutely. And, and, and dig your well before you're thirsty. That, that's what comes to mind that you know, don't wait till something's, uh, you know, past, uh, you know, able to bring, bring it back to the table. You got to have the strategy before the taxes. I love that quote that you talked about. So what are the critical mindsets, skills, and habits to becoming a good negotiator? And, and how best could we develop these out? So when you talk about mindset, uh, we cannot get away from skills and habit as well. So in terms of negotiation, when I uh, teach and train and coach, I am helping them develop the, the right mindset, the right skills, and form the right habits. And, and, and there's so many different right mindset, and that's what Negotiation Mythbuster uh, addresses many of those, right? And that was written by my partner, Dan Oblinger, and myself. Because what I've noticed is a lot of people may be great at negotiation, but then what happens is when they have the wrong mindset, it undermines everything else. It doesn't matter how good someone is, but when they have the wrong kind of thinking, then it undermines their effectiveness. For instance, there was this account manager that my client has, and um, he, was, he was probably one of the best uh, salesperson. But one of the beliefs that he had was if it's a female buyer, they never want to work with me. So occasionally when he goes to a, 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 a prospect and he goes, yep, it's a, it's a woman buyer. There's no deal there. He has already made that decision. So no matter how good he is, when there's a belief that undermines that, then nothing would help. So having the right mindset uh, such as being staying curious, um, the ability to stay calm, which is a skill set, and then to be able to ask good questions under pressure. Those are habits. So all those have to work together. And in fact, they're the only things a negotiator can control. How you think and what you do. We don't, we, don't manage, we don't manage or control outcomes. We have no control over those things. That's, that's intriguing. Can you expand more on that, Alan? Yes. So a lot of, like this morning, I was actually on another uh, uh, podcast, and this lady talks about, okay, what about the mistakes and what are the fears and the unknown when something happens? How do you build resilience? And at the end of the day, is, uh, if you want someone to be more resilient when th things fail and to overcome their fear of failure, they need to know that I have no control over the outcome. The economy could crash tomorrow, but does that make all the activities that I have performed for the last six months or three years to get the deal to this point, was it useless? Was it bad? Did I fail? No, there's certainly a lot of things that are outside of your control. When you're selling to, a, to, a, to an enterprise deal and it's complex and they have all kinds of uh, layers of people involved like uh, engineering, engineering director, procurement, legal, uh, HR, um, IT, then what happens is at any point of those, uh, those stages, or I call it gateways, it could fail. Does that mean that you failed? No, there's too many variables. The question you have to ask is, did I have the right mindset? Did I have the right activities to drive that deal and move it forward one step at a time? So that the mindset needs to be focused, like a, 
there are many, Ian. So things like um, fear of failure, um, mm. thinking that a deal has to be a, a we have to enter into a deal with a win-win mindset. Win-win is an outcome. So because we cannot manage that or control it, we just focus on our, on our activity. But we cannot go into a deal thinking of a win or a lose or a win or a win. Anytime you're thinking of winning or losing or afraid of winning and losing, that is a, that is a flawed paradigm. We, should, we are not competing with our, our counterpart. There are a lot of books out there now that are dealing with hostage negotiation. And I hear people telling, uh, saying this, you know what? Uh, a negotiation or a sale is like a, is like a hostage negotiation. They're holding your money hostage and you need to free it. And I'm like, well, that sounds sexy, but it's a wrong mindset. The minute you think your counterparty or your customer is holding your money hostage, you go to entitled mindset. Their money is not yours. Their money is theirs. Your job is not to free their money. That's not, that's a flawed mindset. So bringing a different paradigm into business can be detrimental. It, became, it can be dangerous and it can make people think the wrong way and treating the counterparty as a hostage taker. That is very, that is, that is invalid. So that is a very powerful example of mindset, Alan. Thank you. That was a great, great story. Um, so what do sales teams engage you for? And when does that usually occur? When do they bring you into the, in, into the, the table? Good question. There's two parts to it. A lot of times sales team bring me in because they may not have a lot of experience. Uh, and so they, this is how they think. They're like, well, um, we don't really negotiate until a deal goes wrong. Well, that's a, that's a problem. When, when you wait till the deal goes wrong before you start to negotiate, that's problematic. You need to be a good negotiator from the beginning, from the moment you intend on doing business with your counterparty. So here's an example. One of my clients or a student called me a couple of weeks ago that there was this company that they were doing business with in, in China and they delivered the product after two years of great service and the whole batch of the product is bad. So now they're trying to get the money back, but they cannot reach the other company and they have gone dark. They're not responding. What do you do? The negotiation should have happened two years ago. How do we do business? Do we, and this is what they did. They, they made all the payments up front. So how can I help them now? You've, you've given them all the money. They've taken your money. The parts are bad. They are not answering your calls. There's really not much we can do, Ian. However, if you want to build strong agreements, it should have happened two years ago. You mm -hmm. should have talked about how does payment happen? How much do we pay and when? And at which point do we put in a third-party inspection to check out the quality of different phases of the production so that I can make those payments? That is good business practice. You do many of those, and those have to be negotiated into the terms. Without those, when it blows up, it's, there's limited things you can do. Sure, we can do certain things, but it's limited. Does that make sense? And that's kind of like the barn door after the horse has left already. Right. Makes total sense. That is, uh, get it right from the beginning. Be proactive. Don't believe that, you know, wait for something to go wrong and then try and fix it. Set a rule book in, in place that says, here's how we're going to behave together. Here's, here's the agreement we're going to live by uh, ahead of time. You're making that's, there's another problem. So 
So those are what junior salespeople would do. But experienced salespeople, and you may appreciate this, is sales is not a problem. They know how to sell. They've got customers interested. They know how to do discovery. They know how to build rapport. They know how to build relationship. They have identified the pain. They, the customer knows that uh, you can solve the problem. They want to work with you, but your internal team is undermining the whole deal. They're putting up roadblocks. They're putting up speed bumps, and you feel like the deal is not going to move forward. In fact, it's going to die, and you don't know why. These are the internal negotiations great sales leaders face. And it has nothing to do with sales. It has to do with negotiation. You just hit a, a, a sensitive spot for all of our listeners that one thing to win the deal is another thing to deliver the deal. Uh, a story I, I, I recall or sometimes talk about when I'm training is go out there and, and, and hunt us down some, some red dragons. We want red dragons. And out goes the salespeople, like win a deal, spend you know, months and months, company, team, resources. They bring the red dragon into the boardroom and say, there you go, boss, we got you one. And the boss says, no, we want blue ones. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So there are many, many different problems, right? So some of the internal roadblocks could be things like the support team or the product team has no incentive to help the sales team close the deal because the minute they close the deal, they have more work to do now. And they don't get a commission. The sales team gets a commission. But the service team may go, well, I'm going to be doing all the work from now, every day, from now to the end of time, as long as they're a customer. You made a deal, you made a commission, and I'm going to be working harder, and I'm already getting a salary. Every time you close a deal, I get more work. Human nature asks, why should I help you? Why should I go on my way to help you to give myself more work? Right. The internal, internal struggles. It can get dark. It can get dark, but it's not that people are out to, to hurt out of, but it's when someone goes, well, I already have uh, six kids at home. I got to take care of, and I need to get home by five. And closing that deal means I'm going to be working till eight for the next three months. Why would I want to do that? Right. Yeah. So these become internal negotiations that sales leaders actually have to navigate as well. It's, it's, uh, you're right. Negotiation is not just customer facing or supplier facing. It's internal. You, you raise a huge point here on. Uh, are there other examples of that that you've run into in your, in your history? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, you think about uh, project managers, right? You bring a deal in, the deal is signed, and, the, and you're working on the project. The project's being delivered, and along the way, customer is happy. One week, everything is green, everything is good. Love you. Next week, chaos. They call the CEO. CEO is like, what's going on? I thought everything was fine last, last week. Oh, well, the, the, your project manager said that uh, we're going to be over budget and over time, and there's no way we can have what we thought we were going to have on time. You promised us next week and nothing's ready. We're only 60% and you, you want more money from us. Now the CEO is like, what's happening? Only to find out the project manager doesn't really want to deliver bad, bad, bad news. So every week there's a little bit of project flip. They think next week the team is going to catch up. And then when it's time to deliver, 
now it's a it's a huge problem right delivering bad news having difficult conversations and when it's not handled well and at the end the customer is like i'm not happy the boss has to come in pulled into the, that world and negotiate that and all along the way it's kind of like a door that is uh opening an inch at a time kind of like compromise and the door of compromise opens was it an inch at a time and it was wide open and now the tiger is in the house and it's threatening everyone and the ceo has to ride that tiger and instead of growing a company or scaling it they are problem solving and trying to deescalate a upset customer that i'm sure every listener has uh, had some level of experience going through that situation it's one thing to win the deal. It's another thing to deliver it and to have all the moving parts in it play their role um, with some level of accountability and trust on the table. Uh, and that's, that's what you've raised a, a real interesting issue on. And, and so negotiations, not just sales, right? It's, it's everywhere. What other areas would business leaders use negotiation for, Alan? Um, there's a lot of different areas and, and you hit it on the head. It's like when you said trust, right? A lot of times people try to make the other party trust us and that becomes quite manipulative. But if you can have open conversations and one of my client calls it reality communications, how can we have reality communications with our customer so that they are never ambushed and they don't get surprised? So that's a key, right? Other areas that you ask about that uh, like an entrepreneur or a, a business owner or a CEO or C-suite have to deal with is working with investors, negotiating with partners, um, negotiating joint ventures, strategic partnerships, merger acquisitions. Um, just think about trying to retain a, a key customer, retaining a key employee, especially during these times of... Uh, um, was it they call it the great, the great resignation when you have yes. a key talent leaves the company, it may destroy the whole company morale. So learning how to negotiate in those situations is key for the leaders. In fact, I feel like when I'm coaching executives, they are moving from one conversation to the next and they're all nego they're all negotiations. One day they negotiate with a, with a, with an investor. Next day, they in negotiating with uh, their partner on the equity. And then next day, they're talking about uh, how are we going to let this problematic employee go? Or how do we retain that uh, key customer? Or we have this strategic partnership and they're not delivering what they promised. How can we get them to prioritize our shipment? They are really moving from one negotiation to the next. They are either in one negotiation, they either came from another one, or they're about to head into another one. Like negotiation becomes their oxygen. It's their life. And the more you know how to do it, the more you have frameworks, system, processes in place, habits and skills, then it's like playing basketball. You enjoy it. It becomes kind of like a game. But if you don't know the rules of a basketball game and you have never been trained, someone throws a basketball, you try to catch it, next minute you jam your fingers and you're just in pain. Or the basketball hits your face and you go, I really don't enjoy this game. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go back to the bench now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, put me, bench me. Yeah. 
I like what you're saying, Alan, about skills, mindset, skills, and then they form habits and they become behavioralized. Uh, and these negotiation skills are useful far beyond business and sales and, and leadership of a company negotiating, like all those areas you talked about. What are some other aspects where negotiation uh, uh, skills, mindset, and, and habits would benefit someone? Great question. So a lot of a lot of times, I'm, I'm, unless I'm coaching the GM or, of a of a huge global company or even a founder of a startup, guess what? They learn the skills. They want to land the anchor client. They want to then uh, negotiate with the boardroom or whatever. After they've learned those skills, Ian, one of the trends that I hear over and over again is, I use the skills that you've taught me to negotiate with my spouse, with my children, with my parents, and the kid that I've not talked to for years, we just had a meal, or my mom that I've not been able to talk to, we have better communication, or my, or my spouse, we're, we're able to have better communication than we ever, ever had before. And, and they recommend their spouse to come and get the training. That's how important it becomes. And, and once you learn a good habit, you can't forget it. You can't unlearn something, especially if it's working in your life. It is like, like it, you're right. It's like swimming. Imagine your life with or without swimming, how much enriched do you become? Absolutely. Enjoy water, pools, beaches, wherever you are. It's a learned skill. You don't forget how to swim. Every skill, whether it's bas riding, a bas uh, riding a bicycle, playing basketball, learning how to swim. If you think about what you know now, now that you know how to swim, now that you know how to ride a bike, imagine you didn't have that. But sometimes people who don't know it don't know what they're missing. Right. You don't know what you don't know yet. That is, uh, yes, I understand exactly what you're talking about. This is fascinating stuff, Alan. It truly is. I, I'm, I'm invigorated by listening to you. I'm sure our listeners are too. What else do you do, Alan? What else do I do? Other than teaching, training, and coaching negotiation, which is the majority of what I do, and I enjoy that, and I love it, is mediation, facilitating collaborative conversation within an organization or among organizations during a merger acquisition or a strategic partnership or, or a merger or an, a, during an acquisition, um, there's usually some type of dispute. Uh, it could be about value. It could be about how we work. It could be within an organization where two leaders of two different departments are, are at odds with how to deliver specific services. So, Sometimes learning how to negotiate doesn't guarantee that you can get what you want. And that's when sometimes a third party that is considered unbiased can come in and facilitate that conversation and discussion and be able to have both sides feel heard, all the issues on the table, and then coming up with helping them, uh, giving them the space to come up with creative solutions that they can both sign off on. That's, that's, that's one thing to have the skills. Sometimes you hit a brick wall and I think we've all done that in our lives personally or professionally. So having a, an, an objective third party with the right skills and experience to come in to try and lead it to the promised land, get it to a, a place where both sides are, are happy and in agreement. Um, that must be very gratifying. That must be very rewarding for you personally, Alan. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, you know, a lot of times uh, we know what to do. Sometimes the other side may not even want to hear your voice. Right. Because there's a problem. And giving them the ability to talk to a third party and yell at the third party, and it's okay. Yes. The person who is trained in yeah. mediation is, hey, I hear you. So what you're really saying is, this is important and you want to address that. But you cannot, right. you cannot do that with your counterparty because then they will take that as aggression and next minute you're escalating the situation. Right. It's, fa- it's a fascinating uh, topic. So, so uh, Alan, how can our listeners reach out to get a hold of you? So there are two ways, and one of them is just connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is Alan Sang, A-L-L-A-N. Last name is T-S-A-N-G, silent T-S-A-N-G. Look me up, connect with me. You have any questions, just uh, direct uh, message me, or you can email me. My email is alan at 88owls.com, and that is A-L-L-A-N, two L's, at 88owls.com. The number 88 and the bird owls, O-W-L-S dot com. My special guest this week has been Alan Sang from Virginia. Alan has graciously given all of you listeners a gift. 30 minutes of free negotiation, coaching, or training online. If you reach out to Alan and let him know you heard it on Confessions of a Sales Pro. Alan, I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners this week. Thank you very much for your time and wisdom, my friend. And thank you for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.